0: Good evening and welcome. The program is Subject ACT with me, Sophie Singh, on your people-powered radio, Two FM 98.3, bringing you stories from our local Canberra community and beyond. Stories with a global dimension. Now here in Australia, we have such a level of secrecy surrounding particular court proceedings that we have a Witness K and even a Witness J. Trials held in absolute secrecy. Defendants hidden behind black screens. What's going on and what does it mean for the accountability and integrity of the justice system in this country? Joining us on Subject ACT is Catherine Kelly, co-convener of the Alliance Against Political Prosecutions. Catherine, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Sophie. Witness K, as he's known, was given a three-month suspended sentence and a 12-month good behaviour bond, which is ironic, given the behaviour of those who have relentlessly pursued him. Before I ask for your reaction to his sentencing, what led to this? It started in 2004. Give us a snapshot, if you can, of what happened then and since. And how does Witness K's lawyer, Bernard Cleary, fit in all of this, given that he too is facing charges?
1: Yes. Well, as you say, it started in 2004 when it is apparent now that the Australian government ordered Witness K to put... Bugs in the East Timor government offices to gain some advantage in the negotiations that were taking place for the oil and sea gas resources in the Timor Sea. He felt uh, uncomfortable about this apparently uh, some years later and uh, he did go to the Inspector General of Intelligence and Security who advised him he could get a lawyer. Now I understand this was about an employment issue initially but then he spoke to uh, Bernard Cleary as his lawyer and they were going to take a case to the Permanent Court of Arbitration in The Hague which could have been confidential but uh, then Bernard's offices were raided in 2013 and all the court... Documents for the Hague case were taken, as was um, Witness K's passport. Which Hague. meant
0: Witness K wasn't actually able to go to the Hague and give no, evidence. he wasn't.
1: And it can't be legal for one side in a case to take the other one's brief about the case. That's one question of legality there. But also in the bugging, there was an issue of the helium being excluded from the negotiations. And it came about because the definition of petroleum usually includes and inert gases which does include helium and it was decided by somebody to take that out east timor didn't know about that probably the companies did probably australia did because they've got good you know geoscientists who know these things so it's assumed that they did know about it but east timor didn't and of course that gave a windfall profit to the companies involved i think mainly woodside and Canoco phillips and it meant australia and East Timor missed out. So how could you explain something like
0: that when both nation state parties to this agreement were disadvantaged by helium being removed from that deal? Is it simply the companies really dictating the
1: terms? It seems like that. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's really hard to explain how Australian government negotiators would rob the Australian people, basically. Not to mention, of course, the East Timorese, who are one of the poorest countries in the world and who we owe a great debt to from the Second World War. It was actually unconscionable that we were trying to disadvantage them in the negotiations. And
0: 18 years later, has any of the subsequent Australian governments given any explanation or even acknowledged the fact that helium was excluded?
1: No, I mean, they don't talk about it at all. They'd rather people thought nothing happened. Ian Cunliffe, who's a senior lawyer and former CEO of the Australian Law Reform Commission, has written two brilliant articles, one about the helium basically and the other one about the public interest in these prosecutions. Both of them are available on the AAPP website which is au. So Catherine...
0: Since 2004 and since it all became public, the bugging, is it still an alleged bugging? Has actually been proven that it did happen?
1: Well, the government won't confirm or deny whether it happened. I mean, obviously, they have to prove that it happened in order for there to be there a conspiracy to, <laughs> yeah, to divulge it. Right. So this is what happens in closed court. So what's happening there is not is what's happening in the public right. eye. So this is a core problem for our democracy that we don't have open justice at the moment. So it's a catch-22, isn't it? Mm. The government
0: is alleging something but won't admit that uh, something's actually been divulged.
1: Mm. The bugging was first divulged by the Australian newspaper to the public and the... Labor government at the time, they wouldn't confirm or deny either and they said Australia considers that the treaty is valid and remains in force. This was in 2013 when East Timor was trying to take it to the K and of course that case collapsed then when Witness K couldn't go. That treaty has since been renegotiated
0: hasn't it? Yes. So has
1: helium been restored As part of the extraction? Not that I know of. I mean, it was a borders issue that has changed so that the borders have changed so that East Timor gets a much bigger share of it, I think around about 80% of the petroleum resources. But I doubt that the helium is included at this stage. That's quite incredible. It is.
0: The term public interest is used repeatedly by the government and by successive Australian governments to justify these prosecutions of Bernard and Witness K. How does the government explain that charging these two men is in the public interests?
1: Well I don't think they have. Basically it's the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions who has the responsibility for deciding to prosecute and the Attorney General in these cases approved them and has to approve by law I understand It's a she at the moment, Sarah McNaughton, but she has to decide that, yes, this is in the public interest and these these prosecutions must go ahead. But she has the discretion not to prosecute, of course. Nicholas Chowdhury in a webinar that the ANU put on about the cases explained very clearly that there's a lot of discretion there. And... You can't imagine how it could be in the public interest. I mean, it's destroying public confidence in the justice system, which is a big part of that. Neither of these men are a danger in any way to the community. They're not terrorists, which the national security legislation would seem to infer they are because it's being used with all this secrecy.
0: So the charges against them are under one of those... Down... National Security Act. Right.
1: Yes, we've got you know around 80 of those laws now and they are just creeping into our legal system and the secrecy. Apparently the secrecy is being used in bikey laws now where evidence can be kept from the defendant and from the defendant's lawyers. And the Law Council of Australia has called for law reform of the national security legislation.
0: What's the significance of Bernard Clary as Witness case lawyer? being also prosecuted, particularly given that Witness K was approved to seek legal assistance from Bernard Clary. And indeed, Bernard Clary had, as I understand it, provided legal assistance to many members of the intelligence and security agency, so would have been well known.
1: He had acted for East Timor before, and I guess in all conscience couldn't not act on this. So when they were going to The Hague, he was involved in that. And I think that's why he's being prosecuted, because uh, the government didn't want this coming out in the public. I mean, apparently they could have kept it confidential in The Hague, but by Raiding their houses and taking Cave's passport, they made sure that it wouldn't be confidential. So it was
0: the actions of the government that brought it into the public eye. Possibly
1: just incompetence, you know, and not not realising what the yeah. impacts of this would yeah. be in the public eye. But the audacity of the
0: act itself—bugging the the officers of a, another nation state, the one that we are, you know, supposedly friendly with.
1: Yes, we were meant to be doing these negotiations in good faith, as you are with international negotiations. So it's arguably that this was an illegal act and. How can you say that Witness K should not have disclosed an illegal act? That's why he should not have been prosecuted in the first place, apart from it not being in the public interest as well.
0: Catherine, this has been going on for a long time. So 2004 is the alleged mm. um, bugging. We're looking at uh, nine years later, are the raids on uh, Bernard Clary's home and office. And then again, it's not till 2018 that the charges have been laid. So that's mm. a long time for this it to is. be hanging over these two men. Why do you think it's continued to drag on. Do you think it's an intentional strategy to wear them down?
1: Well I think uh, between 2013 and 2018 Brandis was the Attorney General and it seemed the case was sitting on his desk and he decided not to do anything by actually not doing anything. So it was only when Porter became the Attorney General and perhaps he thought this was a good way to make his name. I'm not sure. He is meant to be independent and that's another problem with these uh, prosecutions. They do not seem to be independent. They seem to be political. That's quite against what an Attorney General should be doing. So he, uh, I think, won't go down in history as a good Attorney General on many counts.
0: And criticisms of the government in its prosecution of Bernard Kaleri and Witness Kaye are voiced within Parliament itself, as is the lack of progress on establishing a federal ICAC. At a rally held at Parliament House on June 17th, just prior to Witness K's sentencing, Independent MP Andrew Wilkie echoed those concerns and criticisms.
2: You know, this madness can be ended today. With the stroke of a pen, the Attorney General, Michaelia Cash, can end this. Just as Christian Porter, with the stroke of a pen, could have ended this. It beggars belief that they are going ahead with it. It doesn't make any sense. These people must be blinded by their hatred, a determination to get even, a determination to send a very strong signal to other intelligence and security service insiders, toe the line, do what you're told, just follow orders. As discredited as that whole line is in this day and age, it can be ended today. This government just doesn't get it. They also don't get the politics of this. You go out on the street and you ask a hundred people, do you know about Kay and Kaleri? And what do you think about them? The vast majority who know anything about the issue know they are heroes. We should be celebrating them and giving them medals, not trying to put them in jail. Whistleblowers, people who speak truth to power are an essential part of our democracy. Even more so when media freedom and other freedoms are constantly under attack. More and more do we rely on our whistleblowers to tell us what we need to know. We wouldn't know that ASIS bugged the parliament building in East Timor. We wouldn't know that without Witness K and Bernard Clary. It's clearly in the public interest that we know of these operations. But you know, what worries me even more than what's happening with Bernard Clary and Witness K is that they're not the problem in isolation. They're a symptom of a bigger problem. That we live in an increasingly authoritarian state, which I have characterised before as a pre-police state, where there is excessive security legislation. We still don't have effective whistleblower protections. We still have an unsatisfactory public interest disclosure act. There are no protections for Witness K. No protections at all because of the limited scope of the Federal Public Interest Disclosure Act. We still don't have a federal anti-corruption body where we can take our concerns. We have diminishing media freedom. We have politicized security agencies. And you know what? worse than all of that? Is we have a nasty, secretive, authoritarian government that thinks it's okay to go after people like Witness K. Think it's okay to go after Pernod Kaleri to dismiss the concerns of millions of Australians, to shut dissent down so they can do whatever they want and no one speaks up. Those two gentlemen are heroes, they will always have my full support. This is a political fix that's going on and it needs a political solution by persuading the government to stop the nonsense.
0: And the confusion that I think many hold in the community in trying to understand why these men are being dragged through the courts is widespread. Many people, I think, would, like Andrew Wookie, regard what Bernard Caleri and Witness K have done is decent and right. Catherine, we started with Witness K's sentencing. What is your response to the sentence that he got? The three-month suspended sentence and the 12-month bond?
1: Mm. Well, a lot of People have expressed relief that he didn't go to jail uh, and certainly that's a valid response. But uh, my response is too that he should not have been prosecuted in the first place. So this is still a travesty of justice. And he has had, you know, eight years or whatever of not being able to travel freely, being constrained in everything to do with his ordinary everyday life, I think. So between them, Bernard Cleary and Witness K have undergone over 50 hearings in the court. Which have taken not... an immense personal toll. Yes. Apparently, he's quite unwell at the moment. He's elderly now. And if he'd been charged and served a sentence of two years' jail, I think was the maximum, soon after it happened, you know, this would have been over many many years ago so it's an appalling process that he has had to go through and so many Australians are now thankful to him for making the information available. And having the courage. Yes having yes. the courage. Uh, it was certainly a brave thing to do yeah. he would have known I think that that was completely finally the end of his career. And the fact that he's
0: been dragged through the courts will discourage perhaps others to do likewise which you mm. Would have to think is part of the intention here. Yes,
1: well, that's what the judge said in his um, sentencing. I was in the court for the early morning section when the defence were putting their arguments against putting a conviction against him. But the judge said there is this deterrence thing. But should there be a deterrence effect against people disclosing? what are likely illegal acts. Uh, I don't think that's where a role of deterrence is valid at all. Brings into question the very
0: starting point in terms of how we see whistleblowers. Yes. At the Parliament House rally on June 17th, Bernard Kaleri shared his feelings about the prosecution of his client, Witness K, and bear in mind that the rally was held just prior to the sentencing hearing for Witness K.
3: So... uh I'm choosing my words very carefully today. Uh, Witness K is to his sentence uh, scheduled for 1pm. Witness K had written approval to see me. Those uh, approvals from the Inspector General of Security said, among other things, that he should not feel restrained in what he instructed me with and that if he sought to take proceedings, he could take private legal proceedings. Witness K acted on my advice. And you can imagine how I feel to see my client in court pleading guilty to effectively taking my advice. It's a a, a position that I think few lawyers would ever want to be in, but I hope that when democracy returns to our country, we will move to, if he is convicted, to give him a pardon. I really, truly hope we do that. And many people are saying to me, How do you feel about his plea, or intended plea? I feel the utmost compassion for the position he's been in all over these years, and it troubles me uh, that I'm charged with conspiring with him, mainly because I seem to have conspired with all my clients for the last 47 years. In any event, there are black-letter laws that are very difficult to evade, and this government remains in power. I just do hope that when the rule of law returns to our country and these people are removed, then I hope there'll be a form of justice for this good person who came to me with every approval. Thank you.
0: And that was lawyer and whistleblower Bernard Clary, himself facing serious charges, talking about the ordeal that his client, Witness Kay, has gone through as a result of the legal action against him. Music. If you've just tuned in, the program is subject ACT, and you're with me, Sophie Singh, on your people-powered radio, 2XX FM 98.3. Tonight, we're in conversation with Catherine Kelly, convener of the Alliance Against Political Prosecutions, an alliance of grassroots organisations protesting against the prosecution of Bernard Kaleri, witness K, and whistleblowers more broadly. Can you tell us where the proceedings are up to with Bernard Clary's case?
1: He is waiting a decision. He appealed against the secrecy positions in his case. The government last year applied for... Particular secrecy provision, so he's appealing that. And the three judges that have heard the appeal, we're awaiting their decision. Um, I understand one of them's retiring in July, so that the decision hopefully will be made before then. And is it the
0: case that uh, Mr. Cleary hasn't actually been able to see the evidence that's presumably being used to justify the
1: prosecution? I don't know how much evidence he's been able to see, um, obviously, because he's not allowed to tell anybody what evidence he's been able to see. So we don't know. And that's the problem. Helen Wright, former president of the Australian Law Council, said this is exactly what is wrong uh, with these cases in terms of our democracy. When you can't see what's going on, how do you know that justice is being served? If things have been done behind closed doors, this is not justice. And are
0: we being asked to just trust that it's all... Legitimate, Presumably.
1: Know. That's what the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions would say. I mean, we wrote to her and asked her how are these in the public interest and get the answer back, these are before the court, so I can't comment. Well, that's ridiculous. And Nicholas Chowdhury, who was a former New South Wales uh, Director of Public Prosecutions, said, yes, this is ridiculous. There's not, uh, not a satisfactory answer. And I don't think there is one because they're not in the public interest. <laughs> pretty clear. And,
0: Catherine, David McBride is another name mentioned often in the same context. Can you tell us a little bit about his case? What, what is David McBride charged with?
1: David McBride is charged with uh, stealing documents from the government and um, speaking to journalists outside the bounds of his duty. Well, originally he went to the Inspector General of Defence, I think, and put his complaints about the alleged crimes and the culture in the Defence Force quite early on. And he then wrote In to Afghanistan.
3: Yes, the yes. war crimes in Afghanistan,
1: yes. and he wrote to politicians. He wrote, I think, to Malcolm Turnbull at the time. He tried to get his concerns out as widely as he could. When that hadn't had any result, he took some documents, I understand, and went to the ABC, and they broadcast the Afghan files in two thousand and seventeen, which disclosed you know, these happenings there. In two thousand and eighteen, he was charged. So that. His case has been going on a long time as well. And there was
0: at least one ABC journalist who was also yes, charged, who, uh, yeah. whose charges were dropped mm. just
1: early this year or late last year? I think last year, yeah. yes. And they said they wouldn't charge the other one, which they hopefully they're seeing that people are not okay. appreciating this squashing of the press.
0: Given that the alleged war crimes committed by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan is now widely known and in fact is the subject of or has been the subject of official um, investigation and a report, the Brereton report, why do you think the government is still pursuing David McBride?
1: I really can't understand why they are. I wouldn't have thought it was in Australia's interest, in the Defence Department's interest. The only thing can be that this is retribution for him speaking out and Defence don't like people speaking out against their own. So I think that can only be the answer. He has got his public interest defence hearing coming up, which hopefully we'll be able to be in court to listen to, on the 20th of September.
0: So is that being conducted with the same level of secrecy as the Bernard Clary case?
1: I don't think there's been quite so much secrecy, but I think there's still some. Um, I haven't been in his hearings as often, he hasn't had as many, so um, but we will see when that hearing comes.
0: David McBride spoke briefly at the June 17 rally and his determination to beat the charges against him was clearly evident.
4: Firstly, as a thank you all for being here. Without you, there is no me. I would not have made it. And I think probably Bernard and Kay would say the same. You, you can't make it as a whistleblower on your own. It's too hard. But with you, I feel stronger than ever. With you, I'm prepared um, to go to jail. The good news I've got for you today is that I think we are going to win. And you have reason to be happy for the faith that you've put in all the years and coming out here in the gold. And it's going to pay off because it is going to be exposed. But we are living in a dystopian world when uh, Bernard Kaleri is possibly going to jail, he's on trial, Witness K is about to be sentenced, um, and uh, I'm going to jail. As I said in one of my tweets, if we had the My Lai Massacre today, it would be painted by this government as a great victory. They would give away bravery medals to the perpetrators and the whistleblowers would go to jail. I do not intend to cooperate with this enemy and I intend to go down fighting and to uh, escape.
0: And that was David McBride being prosecuted for making public the alleged unlawful killings by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan. And David will be speaking at an event in Canberra in mid-August. And I'll give you details at the end of the program. Catherine, the Alliance Against Political Prosecutions uh, is the organisation that you're co-convening. How do you define political in this context and what is the broad focus of the alliance?
1: Well, the alliance came about because we were protesting against uh, Bernard Cleary and Witness Case cases and then David McBride's. And Richard Boyle is another one, of case of concern. It was just people getting together at the court and then there were a number of organisations that were willing to put their name to it. So originally we had a a coalition of supporters of Bernard Cleary and Witness Cave, but it's broader than that. It's with McBride and Boyle as well. So we decided to make this alliance against political prosecutions. So there's about 15 organisations involved. I won't read them all out, but Civil Liberties Australia, Medical Association of Prevention of War, IPAN, some of the PEN groups, the Writers Against um, Human Rights Abuses, and Timor Sea Justice Forums, quite a few Timor Sea justice groups. As I, I understand
0: it, Witness Kaye and, and Bernard Clary are very much seen as heroes in Timor-Leste.
1: Yes, uh, Ramos Horta, I think just yesterday, uh, urged the uh, East Timorese East government to give him their highest honour. Yes, they do very much consider them as heroes.
0: The prosecutions here in Australia can't be doing a whole lot for Australia's
1: relationship with Timor-Leste. No, that's a significant issue here. The foreign minister should be concerned about this too, because if we don't keep good relations with Timor-Leste, and we should just because there are neighbours, it is likely, and it seems likely, that China is getting more of a foothold there with the infrastructure that they are assisting with. And also the helium, I understand, is uh, being sold to China too. Helium is used in things like the nuclear industry and MRI, the health industry. Quite a lot of uses for it. And Australia has to buy it back now too, mm. that uh, we're not getting the revenue from it that we should yeah, have. It doesn't seem to make sense, does it? No.
0: I just wanted to go back uh, to the Alliance uh, and you mentioned Richard Boyle. Just very briefly, can you tell us what his circumstances are?
1: Richard Boyle is a, an Australian tax office officer and he um, wasn't happy about the methods that they were using to get money back from mainly small business people, I think. And uh, he complained to the proper... Processes in within the tax office, and he didn't get any satisfactory result from that, and so he went to the ABC, went uh, public with that, and he's facing an enormous jail term, uh, fifty or sixty years, which is quite unbelievable. uh, When he was uh, just making these uh, processes public, yeah.
0: And it seems like there's something that all the so-called whistleblowers have in common is that they have sought to escalate concerns through the Proper channels and have been rebuffed at every point, so it's
1: left them nowhere to go other than to go public. That's right. That's exactly the situation. And in Richard Boyle's case, they have made changes to those processes, which are virtually and yet they're still that prosecuting you. Right. Yeah. And the whistleblower legislation is no protection really for public servants. It must be strengthened. And indeed, surely we should have a commitment to stamping out abuse within our public service. Yes, we really need whistleblowers to tell us what's wrong. And in America, they actually give rewards to whistleblowers. Um, So there's a different way of looking at it there. A whole different
0: set of values. uh,
1: Australia is going down the wrong track in a lot of ways at the moment. Catherine, does the Alliance Against Political Prosecutions have
0: something happening in the next month or two that is already being organised?
1: We're hoping to have a webinar about David McBride's case and there'll also be an attendance at the court in September and I'm not sure about Bernard Cleary's when he gets his result. We'll probably have it uh, outside the court then but we don't have a date for that as yet.
0: So if people want to keep in touch and find out what's going on how is the best way for, for them to do that?
1: Well I think uh, keeping an eye on our website uh, aapp.ipan.org.au .au would be one of the best ways or get uh, on my mailing list and we send out emails regularly about the coming events. And we'll
0: put the um, AAPP website address on the Subject ACT Facebook page. Great. Catherine, thank you you very much for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sophie. That was Catherine Kelly from the Alliance Against Political Prosecutions. And David McBride will be speaking at a fundraising dinner for the Medical Association for the Prevention of War. And that's on Friday the 13th of August at the Ainslie Football Club if you're interested, just go to the MAPW website and you'll find more details for that. And that brings us to the end of tonight's program. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm Sophie Singh. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week.